إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So we're now in the chapter, Bab la yuraddu man sa'ala billah. The chapter regarding, do not refuse the one who asks in the name of Allah. Do not refuse the one who asks in the name of Allah. An ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma qal, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, man sa'ala billahi fa'a'atuh, wa man ista'adha billahi fa'a'idhuh. وَمَنْ دَعَاكُمْ فَأَجِيبُوهُ وَمَنْ صَنَعَ إِلَيْكُمْ مَعْرُوفًا فَكَافِئُوهُ فَإِنْ لَمْ تَجِدُوا مَا تُكَافِئُونَهُ فَادْعُوا لَهُ حَتَّى تُرَوْا أَنَّكُمْ قَدْ كَافَأْتُمُوهُ In this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, whoever asks in the name of Allah, then give him. And whoever seeks refuge in the name of Allah, then give him protection. And whomsoever invites you, calls you in the name of Allah, or whomsoever just calls you and invites you, then respond to him, accept it. And whomsoever does some goodness to you, then repay that goodness. And if you are not able to repay that goodness, then make dua for him, and continue to make dua for him until you see that you have repaid the goodness that he did to you. So this chapter heading says, do not deny the one who asks you in the name of Allah. And that is because this indicates the greatness of Allah. The one who asks you in the name of Allah then that is indicating the greatness of Allah. لِأَنَّ هَذَا فِيهِ تَعْظِيمٌ لِلَّهِ By not refusing the person, when he asks in the name of Allah, then this is a greatness that you are indicating for the name of Allah. You are showing your honor and respect for the name of Allah. And that is from the perfection of Tawheed, that this person asked you in the name of Allah, so you do not refuse him to show how you recognize the greatness and the honor of the name of Allah. أَمَّا إِذَا رُدَّ السَّائِلْ بِاللَّهِ فَفِيهِ إِسَاءَ فِي حَقِّ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى As for refusing the one who asks in the name of Allah, then this is a badness towards the name of Allah. That he asked you in the name of Allah, but you refused him. Even though he asked you in the name of Allah. And so that would indicate a deficiency in Tawheed. That a person asks you in the name of Allah, yet still you refuse the person. It shows that you do not have that honor for the name of Allah. وَالسُّؤَالُ بِاللَّهِ is And asking in the name of Allah is permissible. In the Quran Allah mentioned, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ Fear Allah, the one whom you ask via, 
whom you ask with تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ يَعْنِي يَسْأَلُ بَعْضُكُمْ بَعْضًا بِاللَّهِ That you ask each other in the name of Allah. You ask each other in the name of Allah. And so in this hadith it mentions مَنْ سَأَلَ بِاللَّهِ فَعَطُوهُ Whoever asks in the name of Allah, then give it to him. So the hadith says, مَنْ سَأَلَ بِاللَّهِ Whoever asks in the name of Allah. For example, he says to you, أَسْأَلُكَ بِاللَّهِ I ask you in the name of Allah. وَهَذَا مَعْنَاهُ الْإِقْسَامُ بِاللَّهِ And this is like taking an oath by the name of Allah. كَأَنَّهُ قَالْ وَاللَّهِ لَتُعْطِيَنِّي هَذَا الشَّيْءِ It is as if he is saying, By Allah, you have to give me this thing. In the name of Allah, by Allah, I'm asking you for this thing, you have to give me this thing. So it is like the person is taking an oath by Allah upon you. That I take an oath by Allah upon you, that you must give me this. I take an oath... By Allah upon you, that you must give me this. So the hadith says, فَأَعْطُوهُ Then give it to him. هَذَا أَمْرٌ مِنَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِإِعْطَاءِ مَنْ سَأَلَ بِاللَّهِ وَظَاهِرُهُ الْوُجُوبِ This is a command from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, highlighting that the one who asks you in the name of Allah, then give it to him. And the command form typically indicates obligation. لَكِنْ هَذَا فِيهِ تَفْصِيلٌ However, there is some explanation that needs to be understood. Not anybody who just comes and says, in the name of Allah, I ask you for such and such, you have to give. So the explanation here is, إِذَا سَأَلَ بِاللَّهِ شَيْئًا لَهُ فِيهِ حَقٍّ كَالَّذِي يَسْأَلُ مِنْ بَيْتِ الْمَالِ فَكُلُّ مُسْلِمٌ لَهُ حَقٍّ فِي بَيْتِ الْمَالِ فَإِذَا سَأَلَ بِاللَّهِ وَجَبَ إِعْطَاؤُهُ وَكَذَلِكَ إِذَا سَأَلَكَ مُضْطَرٌ إِلَى شَيْءٍ مِنْ طَعَامٍ وَكِسْوَةٍ أَوْ غَيْرِ ذَلِكَ مُضْطَرًا وَأَنْتَ عِنْدَكَ فَضْلٌ زَائِدٌ عَنْ حَاجَتِكَ فَإِنَّهُ يَجِبُ عَلَيْكَ أَنْ تُعْطِيَهُ دَفْعًا لِضُرُورَتِهِ وَإِنْ لَمْ تُعْطِهِ فَقَدْ عَصَيْتَ اللَّهَ so if somebody asks you for something which they have a right for, they come and ask you for something they have a right for, or they come and ask you for something because they are absolutely compelled, they have no choice, they are in absolute necessity, they are in absolute necessity for food, they are in absolute necessity for clothing, or other than that, they are in absolute deep necessity for something. So they ask you by the name of Allah, like taking an oath upon you in the name of Allah, give me this and give me that. So if it was some type of absolute necessity like that, or if it was due to them having a right in that affair, then if they ask you in the name of Allah, you have to give. And if you do not, then you will be disobeying. وَقَدْ جَاءَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ الَّذِي سَبَقَ فِي قِصَّةِ الْأَعْمَى وَالْأَقْرَعْ وَالْأَبْرَسِ And it has already been mentioned in the hadith regarding the blind man, the leper, and the bold man. 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was angered at the two who refused the angel who came in the form of a poor man asking them. In that state when the angel was asking them, it was a state of necessity. He was telling them, I need to get back to my people, I have no provisions. Allow me to take something out of absolute desperation and necessity so I can get back to my people. Yet the two of them, the leper and the bold man, they refused. So Allah was angered at them that they refused to give this individual from the excess of their wealth. They had excess wealth, spare wealth, yet they refused to give anything from it. So Allah was angered upon them for not accepting the blessings of Allah upon them and not giving this person who was in dire need at that time just a single cow, a single sheep, uh, a single camel so that he could get back to his people. So if he has a right or there is absolute necessity and he asks you in the name of Allah, then you should give. أَمَّا إِذَا سَأَلَ شَيْئًا لَيْسَ لَهُ فِي اسْتِحْقَاقٍ وَهُوَ لَيْسَ مُحْتَاجًا وَلَا مُطَّرًا as for the situation, if he asks you for something that he has no necessity for, neither does he have any right in, then in this situation, يُسْتَحَبُّ لِلْمَسْؤُولِ أَنْ يُعْطِيَهُ فَإِنْ لَمْ يُعْطِيهِ فِي هَذِي الْحَالَةِ الْأَخِيرَةِ يَكُنُ فَاعِلًا لِمَكْرُوهُ وَإِذَا أَعْطَاهُ كَانَ فَاعِلًا لِمُسْتَحَبُ In that instance then, if you still do give it to him, then that is mustahab. Because he's asking you in the name of Allah. He has no need for it. He's not any right for it. But if he asks you in the name of Allah and you give it to him then, then that is mustahab. And if you don't give it to him, you've not committed any haram, but it is makruh. Because he asked you in the name of Allah. وَمَنْ اسْتَعَاذَ بِاللَّهِ فَأَعِيذُوهُ And the one who seeks refuge, protection, some safety in you asks you to protect them, give you some safety, then whoever does that, seeks that from you in the name of Allah, then you should do so. فَمَنِ اسْتَعَاذَ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شِرْكِ فَإِنَّهُ يَجِبُ عَلَيْكَ أَنْ تُعِيذَهُ وَلَا يَجُوزُ لَكَ أَنْ لَا تُعِيذَهُ So the one who seeks refuge in Allah from shirk, then you have to aid that person and you cannot refuse him. وَمَنْ دَعَاكُمْ And whoever invites you, if you are invited somewhere, طَلَبَ مِنْكُمْ حُضُورْ مُنَاسَبَ عِنْدَهُ كَأَنْ دَعَاكُمْ إِلَى حُضُورِ طَعَامُ وَلِيمَةُ فَإِنَّهُ يَجِبُ عَلَيْكُمْ الْإِجَابَةُ If somebody asks you, invites you for an invite, for example, a walima, for a wedding, or other than that, then if somebody asks you for this type of invite, and you don't have anything preventing you, then you should go. If there is nothing preventing you, then you don't just go for no, you don't just not go for no reason. If you've been invited and there's nothing stopping you, then you should accept the invite and you should go. Because this is from the rights of brotherhood. So unless there is something preventing you, you should attend and you should accept the invitation. And this hadith seems to indicate this applies to any type of invitation. However, قال العلماء إجابة الدعوة إنما هي خاصة بوليمة العرس. They said this hadith is in particular referring to the walima for the wedding. 
If somebody invites you to that, and there's nothing preventing you, then you should go. Not, not to abandon it just because you can't be bothered. You should attend and you should go then, if you've been invited. Unless there is something preventing you, you are preoccupied with something, you cannot get out of it. Or there is some haram which is going to occur at the walima itself. Free mixing or music or affairs of that nature. Then for those reasons, it is permissible for you to not go. In fact, for those reasons, you do not go at all. But if there is no preventative factor and you've been invited, then the default is you should attend. أَمَّا مَا عَدَاهَا مِنَ الْوَلَائِمْ فَيُسْتَحَبُّ حُضُورُهَا As for other invites that are not the walima of the wedding, other types of invites for food, it's mustahab that you should accept the invitations and go. In one narration it mentions about the walima, وَمَنْ لَمْ يُجِبْ فَقَدْ عَصَى اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ Whoever doesn't accept that invitation for no reason, then he has disobeyed Allah and the Messenger. أَمَّا إِذَا كَانَ هُنَاكَ عُذَرْ كَأَنْ يَكُونَ فِي الْوَلِيمَةِ مُنْكَرْ وَلَا يَسْتَطِيعُ إِزَالَةَ هَذَا الْمُنْكَرْ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَحْضَرْ However, if there was some evil going to happen in that walima, mixing or music, and you're not able to change or prevent that, then this is a preventative factor. And therefore you are allowed and you should not go in that case. Music is haram. There are many... Statements of the scholars who have explained the impermissibility of music and the impermissibility of musical instruments. And there are narrations regarding it. And the only type of instruments which are mentioned that are allowed are what? Like the duff, like the drum type of thing. At the weddings and various incidents like that. But otherwise musical instruments then it is not permissible. And especially nowadays, nowadays the music and the lyrics they have in this music, it is completely haram. It is shirk in fact. The lyrics, the, the words that they sing, it is haram. There is no doubt about it. So these are affairs that are not permissible. And if that was the case, then you have a reason not to go. وَمَنْ صَنَعَ إِلَيْكُمْ عَرُوفًا and whoever does something good for you, then repay that goodness. يعني من أحسن إليك بإحسان مالي أو عملي أو قولي. Whoever does something good for you, whether it is financially or some other act of goodness or some statement of goodness for you, then you should do something in return to repay that goodness from that person. Because as the narrations they mentioned, it is better that you are the upper hand and not the lower hand. Somebody is doing much goodness to you, then you should repay that and do some goodness back to that person. Even if at the bottom end you can't do anything else, you make dua for that person. And that's what this narration says. If you are not able to do some goodness back, do something nice for that person that he's done goodness for you. If you're not able then at least make dua for this person who has done goodness for you. Make dua for this person who has done goodness for you, and continue to make that dua until you consider that you have made plentiful dua for this person that would be sufficient to cover this goodness that he did for you. أي أدعو له بالخير والتيسير والتوفيق 
حتى تروا يعني تظنوا that you have done sufficient for that person you have made enough dua for that person فدل هذا على أن المحسن يكافأ على إحسانه إما بالقول وإما بالفعل so the one who does goodness for you does goodness for you then you repay that goodness do some goodness for him and if you're unable then make dua for that person so what do we learn from this chapter المسألة الأولى لا يرد من سأل بالله لقوله من سألكم بالله فأعطوه that you do not reject the person who asks you takes an oath upon you in the name of Allah the person who does that then you accept and you do what you are able to do for that person and if the person is asking for something he has no right for and he has no need for then it is mustahab you give it to him anyway and it is not obligatory though in that case and some of the scholars they mention if a person was known to be a liar known to be somebody uh, who is a fraud that type of person comes and asks you in the name of Allah then if you are aware of these details of him you do not aid him in that because you will be aiding him in sin then he is abusing the affair secondly fihi wujub i'adatu man istaada billahi wa adam al-masas bihi wa makruh lanna hadha yakunu ta'addiyan ala man istajara billah wa dhalika min naqs at-tawhid wa fi i'adatihi ikmal lit-tawhid the one who comes and seeks aid and protection from you uh, in the name of Allah, then you should give that person that guardianship or aid or protection that you can. Fihi wujub, also we learn the obligation of answering the call of the one who invites you. Particularly for the invite of the walima of the wedding. If you have no reason to miss, then it is upon you to go. And you should not miss it for no reason. If you are prevented for some reason, then so be it. But otherwise, if you are invited and there's nothing stopping you, you should attend. Also we learn that the one who does goodness to you, then you should repay that goodness, do some goodness back for them. And if you're unable, then at least make dua for the person who does goodness for you. The next chapter, بَابٌ لَا يُسْأَلُ بِوَجْهِ اللَّهِ إِلَّا الْجَنَّةِ the chapter that you do not ask by the face of Allah except paradise. You do not ask by the face of Allah except for paradise. This is to indicate the greatness and the honor of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And indicating the greatness of the attributes of Allah is from the tawheed. هذا الباب عقده الشيخ رحمه الله في كتاب التوحيد لأن تعظيم صفات الله سبحانه وتعالى من تعظيم الله وتعظيمها من التوحيد لأنه تعظيم لله سبحانه وتعالى وأما عدم تعظيمها فإنه تنقص للتوحيد لأنه تنقص لله عز وجل So having that honor for the attributes of Allah is honor for Allah Having that great respect for the attributes of Allah is the great respect for Allah. And the face of Allah is one of the attributes of Allah. وَوَجْهُ اللَّهِ صِفَةٌ مِّن صِفَاتِهِ الذَّاتِيَّةِ تَوَاتَرَتْ بِإِثْبَاتِهِ الْأَدِلَّةِ فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَفِي سُنَّةِ رَسُولِهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ و
The face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one of the attributes of Allah. Mentioned in the evidences in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and the scholars of this ummah are agreed upon that fact. For example, it is mentioned in the Qur'an, كُلُّ مَنْ عَلَيْهَا فَانِ وَيَبْقَى وَجْهُ رَبِّكَ ذُو الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ Everything upon it will perish and will remain only the face of your Lord. وَيَبْقَى وَجْهُ رَبِّكَ So this is an affirmation of the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, as we have learned before, when we affirm the names and attributes of Allah, we do so without any type of comparison to Allah, to creation. Without any type of comparison between Allah and His creation. Without any type of imagination of what Allah looks like. Without any type of comparison. So we do not give descriptions to Allah. لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine even in paradise there are things that we can never imagine yet. مَا لَا عَيْنَ رَأَتْ وَلَا أُذُنَ سَمِعَتْ وَلَا خَطَرَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِ أَحَدٍ مِنَ الْبَشَرِ Oh, كَمَا قَالَ No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no heart has ever imagined. You have not even been able to imagine the kinds of things that are going to be in paradise. So let alone the Creator. We cannot imagine what Allah looks like, and we cannot try and describe what Allah looks like. But the attributes that Allah affirms for Himself, we affirm them. So we affirm Allah has a face, but we do not know how or what. We do not know the descriptions and we cannot try and imagine. But Allah says this in the Qur'an, so we affirm it. We do not behave like the people of innovation who say, therefore, if we're going to affirm it, but we don't know what it is, the reality of it, then we should just misinterpret it to something else. And say the face of Allah just means this or it means that. Something else that can be interpreted. We don't do that. We don't misinterpret from our own interpretations and our own calculations. Upon what are we going to do that? We'd be lying upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So we leave it as it is. But we don't know what that looks like, how it looks like. We can't imagine those things. So in this it says, You do not ask by the face of Allah except for paradise. So this is one of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the face of Allah. فَالْوَجْهُ مِنَ الصِّفَاتِ الذَّاتِيَّةِ وَهُوَ أَعْظَمُهَا لَكِنْ مَعَ الْعِلْمِ وَالْيَقِينِ وَالْقَطْعِ بِأَنَّ صِفَاتِ اللَّهِ لَيْسَتْ كَصِفَاتِ خَلْقِهِ So we must be upon absolute certainty that the attributes of Allah, they are not comparable to the attributes of creation at all. The attributes of Allah have no resemblance to the attributes of creation at all. So what does this hadith mean now? La yus- uh, what does this chapter mean and the hadith mean? La yus'alu That you do not ask by the face of Allah. Meaning, items and things that have no value. Things which have no value. You don't ask for those things by the face of Allah. The face of Allah is something great and honorable. So you don't ask for minor, small, invaluable things by the face of Allah. If you're going to ask by the face of Allah, it's going to be something great, something tremendous. 
to show your level of honor for the face of Allah, that you don't just ask for minor things by the face of Allah. So, the minor things and the belittled things, he don't mention them saying by the face of Allah. So rather, that is only going to be something which is great, something which has significance. And that's why this chapter is mentioned to highlight when you talk about the names and attributes of Allah, you don't associate to them something belittled, something minor, something of no significance, something of no value. Because that then shows you're not giving the value to the names and attributes of Allah. So if a person was saying, asking by the face of Allah, then it wouldn't be something minor. It would be paradise itself, the greatest of the affairs that a person desires and wants to enter into. <coughs> so that is basically highlighting <coughs> that an individual respects and gives honor to the greatest degree to the names and to the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and does not fall into any type of belittlement of the affair by associating things of no value to that. Then the next chapter which we'll cover also today before rounding off is the chapter Bab Ma Ja'a Law. The chapter regarding what has been mentioned about saying, if only. If only I had done this, if only I had done that. The chapter regarding, if only. Bab Ma Ja'a Law. The law, this word in Arabic, it is when you say, if only. If only I had done this, if only I had done that. And this is something which is not permissible for a person to say. It is not permissible for you to say, if only I'd done this, and if only I'd gone there, if only I'd done it differently. You're not allowed to make those types of statements, if only I'd done this, and if only I'd done that. Because as Ahlul Sunnah, what is upon us, is to have Iman in the decree. To have Iman in the decree completely. And to believe that everything is decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth, everything was decreed. كَتَبَ اللَّهُ مَقَادِيرَ الْخَلَائِقِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَخْلُقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ بِخَمْسِينَ أَلْفَ سَنَةِ Allah decreed all of the affairs that are to occur 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth. وَفِي الْحَدِيثِ الْآخَرِ أَوَّلَ مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ الْقَلَمِ قَالَ لَهُ اكْتُبْ قَالَ مَا اكْتُبْ قَالُ اكْتُبْ كُلَّ مَا هُوَ كَائِنٌ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ When Allah created the pen, Allah said to it, write. The pen said, what shall I write? Allah said, write all of that which will take place up until the day of judgment. So that decree is something which is written. That decree is something which has been declared by Allah. In the Quran it mentions, إِنَّا كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلَقَنَاهُ بِقَدْرٍ Indeed, we created everything by the decree. And so, it is upon a believer to have iman in the decree. And not to start saying, but if only I'd done this, it would have been different. And if only I did that, it would have been like this, or it would have been like that. You don't make those types of statements. فَكَلِمَةْ لَوْ 
إذا جاء بها الإنسان في سياق الجزع والسخط على ما يحصل له فإن هذا نقص في التوحيد If a person starts mentioning this If only I'd done this and if only I'd done that Because he's depressed and he's sad And he's saying it would have been different And it would have been like this and it would have been like that Then this is a deficiency in your tawheed This is a deficiency in your tawheed Saying if only this, if only that It's as if you don't seem to realize the decree is the decree and it's happened now You need to realize that is the decree of Allah and it's happened And be patient upon it And not start saying if only this and if only that And if only this it would have been okay If only that it would have been okay That is a deficiency in the tawheed of a person The example given here now is The ayah يَقُولُونَ لَوْ كَانَ لَنَا مِنَ الْأَمْرِ شَيْءٍ مَا قُتِلْنَا هُنَا This ayah was revealed in the context of the battle of Uhud When they said if we had something some control of this affair, we wouldn't have been killed here. So this was regarding the battle of Uhud, which is mentioned in Surah Al-Imran. And we know that there was a great calamity which occurred to the Muslims in the battle of Uhud. A great calamity occurred upon the Muslims in the battle of Uhud, and many of the Muslims were martyred in the battle of Uhud. And that was because a group from amongst them went against what the Prophet ﷺ had told them to do. The Prophet ﷺ had organized the Muslims and his army on the battle of Uhud. The Prophet ﷺ had organized them and he had made a group of them to stand upon a particular mountain with bows and arrows, archers, to ensure that nobody could come and attack them from behind. فَالنَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ نَظَّمَ الْعَسْكَرَ قَبْلَ الْقِتَالِ وَجَعَلَ جَمَاعَةً مِنَ الرُّمَاهِ عَلَى جَبَلٍ يَحْمُونَ ظُهُورَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَقَالَ لَهُمْ لَا تَتْرُكُوا الْجَبَلَ سَوَاءً انْتَصَرْنَا أَوْ هُزِمْنَا The Prophet said to them, this group that he put on top of the small mountain, the archers, don't come down whether we win or lose. Do not come down whether we win or lose. ثُمَّ بَدَأَتِ الْمَعْرَكَةِ فَصَارَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ يُقَاتِلُونَ الْكُفَّارِ وَظُهُورُهُمْ مَحْمِيَّةِ So the Muslims, the battle began, they started to attack the disbelievers, and their backs were covered. These archers were covering the backs. Nobody could come from behind and attack. فَانْدَفَعُوا عَلَى الْكُفَّارِ So they pushed ahead upon the kuffar, وَقَتَلُوا مِنْهُمْ وَفَتَّكُوا بِهِمْ and so they killed those uh, disbelievers and they pushed upon them. فَكَانَ النَّصْرُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ So the Muslims, they were victorious. وَلَمَّا شَرَعُوا فِي جَمْعِ الْغَنَائِمِ So when they started to collect the war booty. رَآهُمُ الَّذِينَ عَلَى الْجَبَلِ Those who were upon the mountain, the archers, saw that. They saw that the Muslims are victorious and they are collecting the war booty. The battle is over. They said, نَنْزِلُ نُشَارِكْ فِي الْغَنَائِمِ they said, let's go down so we can go and participate in gathering the war booty. فَنَهَاهُمْ قَائِدُهُمْ عَبْدَ اللَّهِ بِنْ جُبَيْرِ Abdullah ibn Jubair, who was the leader of them, appointed in charge of them on the mountain, the archers, he said to them, no. And he reminded them what the Prophet ﷺ said, نَهَاهُمْ قَائِدُهُمْ عَبْدَ اللَّهِ بِنْ جُبَيْرِ وَذَكَّرَهُمْ بِقَوْلِ الرَّسُولِ ﷺ لَا تَتْرُكُ الْجَبَلَ سَوْءَ لِنْتَصَرْنَا وَهُزِمْنَا 
Do not leave the mountain whether we win or lose. But they refused. And they went. They said, it's over. The battle is finished. Let's go collect the war booty. The kuffar have been pushed away. They've gone. فَلَمَّا نَزَلُوا So when they came down, جَاءَ الْكُفَّارُ مِنْ خَلْفِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ مَعَ الْجَبَلِ Khalid ibn al-Walid, who on that day was still with the kuffar, saw what had occurred, that the archers were no longer in their position, which meant that the back of the Muslims was now exposed. So he took a battalion of his army, from the mushrikeen, and they went around and came from behind the Muslims, and they attacked once again. فَدَارَتِ الْمَعْرَكَ مِنْ جَدِيدٍ So the battle began again. وَصَارَتْ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِينَ الْمُصِيبَةِ بِسَبَبْ مَعْصِيَتِهِمْ لِلْرَسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. So this great calamity occurred upon the Muslims, uh, due to them not uh, fulfilling that instruction of staying upon the mountain. And so then when the battle began again, uh, the uh, killing began and some of the Muslims were martyred in that. So when that happened, when that happened, كان المسلمون في حالة الخوف الشديد وقد أنزل الله عليهم النوم لأن النوم أمان فصار النوم فارقا بين المؤمنين وبين المنافقين المؤمنون أصابهم النوم هذا أمان من الله والمنافقون ما ذاقوا غمضا من الفزع ومن الخوف والجبن يظنون بالله غير الحق ظن الجاهلية هذا هو السبب المؤمن يظن بالله ظن الحق وأنه قادم على ربه وما عند الله خير له أبقى فهو يظن بربه ظن الحق يحسن ظن بالله فلذلك لا يخاف من الموت لأنه يؤمن بالله ويحسن ظن بالله وأنه قادم على رب كريم وعد من الله فهو مطمئن وأما المنافقون فإنهم يظنون بالله ظن السوء يقولون هل لنا من الأمر من شيء قل إن الأمر كله لله يخفون في أنفسهم ما لا يبدون لك يقولون لو كان لنا من الأمر شيء ما قتلناها هنا وهذا هو محل الشاهد تدبير نعم لو كان لنا من الأمر شيء ما قتلناها هنا أرجعوا سبب القتل إلى أنهم ليس لهم تدبير ولو كان لهم تدبير ما قتلوا فرد الله عليهم بقوله قل لو كنتم في بيوتكم لبرز الذين قتب عليهم القتل إلى مضاجعهم فالبقاء في البيوت لا يمنع من الموت فالذي مكتوب عليه الموت في أي مكان سيخرج ويذهب إلى مكانه الذي مكتوب أنه يقتل أو يموت فيه سادة مشركين ومنافقين they began to say, if we had any control over the affair, then we wouldn't have been killed here. This wouldn't have happened like this. If we had some control over the matter, then this wouldn't have happened in this way. Yet, Allah rebuked them and said, Even if you were in your homes, you think you are safe and sound in your home. Even there, if death is prescribed upon you, death is written upon you, then death will come to you. Regardless of this type of statement, if we had some control over the affair, this wouldn't have happened, that wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't have died. That is all useless. When death is prescribed upon you, whether you are in the safety of your home or elsewhere, 
where death is prescribed upon you at the time, at the location, then you will certainly find yourself in that place and time and location. Death will certainly come to you. So this was a rebuke upon them. Because they began to say, if only we had some say, if only we had some control, it wouldn't have been like this. So this was a type of depression, a type of sadness that they were indicating. Claiming that if they had control, it wouldn't have been like that. It would have been this, it would have been that. And we know this is not correct. It is not correct to have that type of statement and that type of uh, belief. Thinking that you would be saved if you'd done something differently. You do not know what would have happened if you did it differently. Maybe if you did it differently, the outcome would have been even worse. How do you know? You think that if I did this or I did that, it would have been okay. How do you know? Maybe if you did this or did that, how you're thinking it now, the outcome may have been even worse. A person crashes his car and he says, if only I'd gone the other way. I saw the sign, I saw the barriers, but I decided to just go that route. I should have gone the other way, I wouldn't have crashed. How do you know? Maybe if you went the other way, you ended up in a crash yourself even worse and died. How do you know? How do you know what would have happened if you went the other way? Maybe you go the other way and an 18-wheeler lorry crushes you. So you cannot sit there and say, if only I did this, it would have been this, and if only I did that, it would have been that. You cannot say that. And we're going to come to the hadith in a moment, which will explain in further detail why you can't say that. And that is the hadith of Sahih Muslim, of Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu, where he said that the Prophet said, احرص على ما ينفعك واستعن بالله ولا تعجزن وإن أصابك شيء فلا تقل لو أني فعلت كذا لكان كذا وكذا ولكن قل قدر الله وما شاء فعل فإن لو تفته عمل الشيطان The Prophet said strive for that which will benefit you strive for that which will benefit you and seek aid and assistance in Allah and do not become weak Seek aid and assistance in Allah and do not become weak. Strive after that which benefits you. وَإِنْ أَصَابَكَ شَيْءٍ And if something overwhelms you, overcomes you, something harmful to you, something bad to you, something you didn't want to happen, but it happens to you, then don't say, if only I had done such and such, then it would have been such and such instead. Don't start saying, if only I did this and if only I did that, then it would have been this and it would have been that. Rather, what you should say is, Qaddar Allah, Allah has decreed it like that. Wa ma sha'a fa'al, and whatever Allah wishes, He does. Allah has decreed it like that, it's happened like that, whatever Allah wills, it happens. فَإِنَّ لَوْ تَفْتَحُ عَمَلَ الشَّيْطَانِ Because if you start saying, if only this, if only that, then that opens up the door to shaitan to enter upon your mind. And once the shaitan enters upon your mind like that, you could spend the whole day sitting there, if only this, if only that. The whole week, the whole month, why do people end up in depression? Because of these types of things. Thinking, thinking, if only this and if only that, and this wouldn't have happened, and that person wouldn't have done this, and that wouldn't have happened. All thoughts which are useless to you. That's what the Prophet said. You start doing that, and he said, "Taftahu amal al-Shaytan." It opens the door to the Shaytan to enter your head. From the Prophet ﷺ, fourteen hundred years ago, 
فإن لو تفتح عمل الشيطان Start saying if only this, if only that And it opens up the door to the shaytan That's why the Prophet said at the beginning of the hadith Don't do that, do what? Instead focus on things that are going to benefit you Focus on what you can do That is of benefit to you and strive after that Make effort to go after that Beneficial things for yourself in worship and obedience And don't sit there if only this, if only that That makes you weak that makes you feeble. That's why the Prophet said, "Wala ta'ajiz." Don't become weak and feeble. Sitting there, if only this, if only that. This is from the Prophet Don't sit there, become weak and feeble. If only this, if only that. Rather have strong resolve, be strong, and focus on what is going to benefit you and strive after that. If a person implemented this hadith, so many people would be removed from the type of depressions that they find themselves in. Weak and feeble, not able to do anything. Minds have been lost over thoughts that are useless to them. So, take into consideration this narration. And from the next session, we'll begin with this hadith. We haven't completed the explanation of it yet. We'll carry on with the explanation of this hadith in more detail next session. Next week, inshaAllah ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that point for today. There's any quick questions, we can do them before the prayer. Otherwise, we'll conclude on that. If there's a baby in your presence, it's just you and this small baby, and you're praying. Obviously, you should try to put that baby into a situation where you can pray peacefully and nothing is going to happen to him. If it's a small baby, put them in a cot, etc. Something, maybe a baby slightly bigger, put them into a walker or something. Something where they can preoccupy themselves without any harm coming, so you can free yourself for the prayer. But let's say you put them in a some type of safe place, but during the prayer you notice they've managed to get out of that, or they've, they've moved themselves away from that, or it's a small baby and he's fallen, uh, fallen over, or something has happened like that. Then the scholars say it is permissible in the prayer for you to move just to make sure everything's okay. Like for example, you have your baby next to you on the floor and you're praying. The baby starts crawling away towards the gas fire. What do you do? You have to move in your prayer to stop the baby going to the gas fire. Have to. So in that situation, those situations, it is permissible to make some movements to stop the harm coming to that child if that is necessitated. But obviously, like we say, prior to the prayer, you should put them into some sort of situation where you'll be okay for 10 or 15 minutes, they'll be in that cot or whatever, and no real issue there, you can pray. But if you didn't, and something was occurring, some danger, you perceive it, permissible then to move and to stop that danger. For yourself too, if you are praying, and some danger was imminent upon you, you're praying and all of a sudden you see a poisonous scorpion crawl out of the sand. Is it permissible for you to move or not? Of course. Permissible for you to move, even if you're going to uh, stamp on the scorpion or something like that. Permissible in the prayer to do that now, because of the imminent danger. So there are times of necessity when movement is allowed in the prayer like that. Allah alam, it's not mentioned here. I have to look into the books of Sirah. Anybody come across that in the studies of Sirah? 
I'll have to look into it. Mm. What's the best thing for someone who suffers from anxiety? Anxiety is these type of things. The best thing for a person who, studies, uh, who <coughs> suffers from anxiety is to have a look at the Quran and the Sunnah with these kinds of texts. The hearts of the people only find peace. How? The Quran tells you. How? Through the remembrance of Allah. That's how you find peace in your heart. A person who has anxiety, it's because he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that connection to Allah, doesn't have that remembrance, doesn't have that worship and obedience to Allah, doesn't realize this is all the decree of Allah and if something bad has happened, it's the decree of Allah, be patient. إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى Allah says in the Qur'an, with difficulty comes ease. وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا Whoever fears Allah, Allah will make a way out for you. All of these things, when a person looks into that and realizes, then he will find some peace in his heart. But a person who doesn't know any of these things, doesn't have any understanding of the Qur'an, the Sunnah, no knowledge, doesn't have his trust in Allah, dua to Allah, asking to get him out of the difficulty, then he's going to be left with that void in his heart, and the shaitan opens up to that. So it is about knowledge. Knowledge of the Qur'an, the Sunnah, remembrance and dua is what will take away that anxiety. If it is genuinely black magic, some type of magic has occurred to them, then there are cures in the Qur'an and the Sunnah mentioned. The ruqya that you can do, the recitation of the ruqya, and uh, finding the source of the magic to relieve the magic from that source. Like when the magic was done to the Prophet ﷺ, by the Jewish one, and then eventually they found the source of it. So uh, there are Islamic things that can be done. Recitation and ruqya of the Qur'an, etc. upon that person, uh, finding the source of that magic could be possible, but not using jinn, as many people do now. They say, we're going to cure your magic and we have jinn who help us. That type of thing is not permissible. But a person needs to put his trust and dependence in Allah. The greater the tawheed of a person, the more you are protected from the work of the shayateen and the magic. Magic is real. There is no doubt. In the Quran it is mentioned. In the Sunnah it is mentioned. When the Prophet ﷺ had magic done to him, it's mentioned in the Sunnah that he would imagine things that never, they never even happened. Like hallucinations. When the Prophet ﷺ had magic done to him. Magic is real. It can kill people. Magic can kill even. Magic is, uh, it's in the Quran and the Sunnah, ayat of the Quran. This is the thing. This is the misguidance of the people. Haram. So we leave it there. It's time for the prayer. We'll carry it next week, inshallah.